We are starting a new series today. We finished up last week our previous series called His Cross. Now we're starting a new series called Our Cross, and we're going to look at, so if you were here, and if you weren't, you can catch them on, online on our YouTube channel or back, just scrolling back through Facebook, uh, or if you can listen to them, there's an audio version on our website that you can, use, you can subscribe to as a podcast. But we looked at how does Jesus connect to the cross? How does he relate to the cross? And how did he deal with the cross? And now we're going to look at the epistles and look, so now what about us? How do we relate to the cross? Or the, or the question I put on here is, what does the cross mean for us? What does the cross mean for us? And so that's what we're going to uh, look at in this next series. This will take us through to a week past Easter. And so we'll be doing this uh, right through Easter, and Easter will fit well with this as we look at the cross. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the cross... When it comes to the church, Corinth was an interesting city. It was, it was a, a port city where they had a lot of trade, and it was, so it was a very multicultural city. And so you had, you had Jews, you had Greeks, you had a lot of different uh, groups, both uh, ethnically and socioeconomically. So you had, you, know, the, you had the merchant class and richer people, and you had poorer people, because you're always going to have poor people. So you had a lot of, it was a very diverse and, and busy and active city, and it also was a uh, kind of a home city of a lot of pagan worship, too. It was a very religious city. And so Paul had gone there, and they started a church, and they founded a church. And so that church, as that church is trying to kind of figure out how to be a church, they end up with a lot of problems. And so Paul has to keep writing to them to try to help them navigate the problems and straighten things out. And we have two of the letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He wrote at least three because he refers to one of them, but in that letter apparently he was so angry that it was him talking, not God, and uh, so God didn't save the letter. And so we don't have that letter. Uh, we have 1 and 2 Corinthians, but we don't, there's another letter in there that we don't have. And he deals with some of the different issues in the church. And the first issue that he deals with in 1 Corinthians is the fact that the church was divided and fighting over uh, who's the best leader to follow. Now, I realize this does not in any way have any relationship to anything we've dealt with, that trying to have, a, have division and argument over oh, who's right and, and who's the best leader and all that. That's something very foreign to us. But, but that church had been really driven apart by this. And so they, they had a lot of different things they were fighting over, and one of them was they had broken into, broken into groups. And of course, we all want to think that we're the right, right? That's, that's what we do. We, we like to be right. We want to believe that we're in the right, that we're part of the right group, that we have the right opinion, and, you know, the old joke is you can agree with me or you can be the wrong, wrong the rest of your life, right? That's the idea. We all love to be right, and that's what was going on here. We all like to think we're smart. We all like to think that we're, you know, we want to be on the winning team. Nobody wants to be on the losing team. You want to be on the winning team. You know, the, the years that Patriots were in the Super Bowl, that's when you wanted to watch. Patriots on the Super Bowl, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll watch the Super Bowl. We'll see. Maybe, maybe not, you know, because we like to be winning. We like to be right. We like to think we're smart. So that's, so in the, if you read the first 17 verses of 1 Corinthians 1, 
that was going on in the church and how they were, what they had begun to fight over, one of the things they're fighting over is who's the best leader. So Paul had founded the church. And so some people were going, well, we are, we're pro-Paul. I'm, I'm a Paul guy. I, I still, I, I'm loyal to Paul and Paul's my guy and I follow Paul and, and I, you know, I'm Paul's guy. And then there were those Apollos who was a talented teacher. He had come along and he had taught. So some people were like, well, I, I remember when Paulus came, he was amazing. I'm an Apollos guy and I'm a, I'm a Paulus. And then you had, you know, so you had the different ones of that. And then you had the people who were really, you know, they, they know how to win. So they say, well, I'm a Jesus. <laughs> okay, all right, you win. Oh, I'm of Jesus. Oh, can't beat that one, right? And so all this is going on, and he talks about that in the first 17 verses. And then in verse 18 and the rest of chapter 1, he begins to address and correct this. And he takes a very interesting approach, and we need to look at that. So let's follow along with me, 1 Corinthians 1, and I'm going to read 18 through 31. I'm going to actually pick up 17 to take us in. Because one of the things that someone was saying is, well, Paul, not even, not only do I follow Paul, but he baptized me. And Paul's like, okay, wait, did I baptize very many? Well, maybe a couple. But then he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. In other words, not putting on a good show so that the cross of Christ would not be made void, made worthless. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, he doesn't finish his argument there. He keeps going, but we're going to stop there because there's just a lot there to unpack. And let's look through what he says. And the big first thing he says is the word of the cross, verse 18, the word of the cross is foolishness to others. And that's a tough one right there for us. We don't, that's not how we think about it. I mean, we, we decorate with the cross now. 
we put the cross you know, on our shields and, and we march into battles with the cross. He says, but it's foolish. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. He says, but to us it's power. But to us it's power. But this is foolishness. And then he talks about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And he makes an observation as he says, well, who's wise? Who's, who thinks they're smart? The wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world didn't bring them to God, but God was well pleased, verse 21, to the foolishness of the message to save people. So he keeps talking about the message is foolish, the foolishness of the message, that this is foolish. He keeps repeating that. And then verse 22, he says, well, the Jews look for a sign, or the Jews look for signs. Well, what were they looking for a sign of? A sign of the coming Messiah. And so they were constantly, I mean, what did they say at their, when they get together every year for Passover or whatever? Next year in Jerusalem. They're always looking for, when is Messiah going to come and restore us? When is Messiah going to come? And so they're always looking for a religious sign, always looking for, I don't like how the world is. When is God going to fix it? And that the fixing was going to come through a religious answer. God is going to come and fix it. Say, so we're looking for the Messiah. Can we relate to that today? Is this a sign of the times? Are we in the end times? Is this the mark of the beast? Is this the Antichrist? Is this the looking for what? The sign. Is, is Messiah coming? So just like us, always looking for a sign. In this day and age, all you have to do is type in mark of the beast and you, you'll, you can lose a day on different, you know, and this has been when I grew up. It was the same way. And who's the Antichrist? I think we're in the end. I think we're in the end now. Always looking for a sign. That's the religion side. And it says the Greeks look for wisdom. The Greeks weren't pursuing a religious answer. They were pursuing a rational answer. The Greeks were trying to understand the world by thinking through it. And so it was rationality. And of course, I'm trying to be a good Baptist by alliterating here. So religion versus rationality. He says, so the, the Jews are looking for a sign. They're looking for a religious answer. And Greeks are looking for a rational answer. They're looking for wisdom. He says, but we, but we preach Christ. Verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. And he says, to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Because Christ crucified is dumb for these two things. Christ crucified is stupid. Because what were the Jews looking for? They were looking for God to come and fix everything. They were coming, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set everything right and he's going to conquer. He's, the Messiah is going to come in power. And the Greeks are like, the, the solution is going to come through careful consideration and logical choices of understanding the world and boom, 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 boom. And for both, he says, the Christ crucified doesn't fit. Why? Well, for the Jews who are looking for a conquering Messiah, Christ crucified is a failure. I mean, we, again, because we have turned this symbol into a religious artifact, we forget what this meant. This was a sign of abject and total shame. You know, we, we sometimes use the expression of, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. That's what crucifixion was. 
It was what you didn't wish on your worst enemy. That's why Roman citizens couldn't be crucified, because a Roman citizen, you could be executed, but just by virtue of being a Roman citizen, some, even execution, there were some executions that were too, too bad for you. We would never do that to you. Even if we have to kill you, we won't do that to you. And the Jewish scripture said, cursed by God is anyone who hangs on a tree. So if you get crucified, that means God hates you. So then we say, so we've been waiting for the Messiah all our lives. Oh, uh, he was crucified, cursed of God. They're like, that, that's, that, no, that's not possible. So that's a stumbling block. And what do you do? You look for power and you look for winning. And this represents loss and failure. And so to the Greeks, they're like, well, that's stupid. This represents, that's a stupid choice. And we hear that when he's hanging on the cross. Well, they say, if you're really God, well, then come down. Show it. Use your power, dude. If you're God, well, let's see it. And what did he do? Nothing. Well, if you can and you don't, that's just stupid. Why would you give in? Why would you surrender? My goodness, man, be strong. That's foolish. So he says, the message of Christ crucified is dumb. And they look at it and they go, that's foolish. And he says, but. To us, it's power and wisdom, verse 24. It's the power of God. And it's the wisdom of God. This sign of weakness and failure. For God is power and victory. And then he says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God beats the wisdom of men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the the strength of men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So so we have something different. God is greater. He says, but the cross doesn't make sense. The cross doesn't make sense to people because it's backwards, it's different. And so then, having established this, then he gets a little insulting. Verse 27 of verse 26, he gets a little insulting because he goes, now let's talk about you guys. Now, throughout human history, through most of human history, especially, you know, especially since the church has been established by Jesus in the New Testament, the church has not been made up of the best and the brightest. Why? Why is the church not usually made up of the best and brightest? Because the best and brightest don't need it. Because they have everything. Jesus said, it's hard for a rich guy. Why? Because the rich guy, he's already good. The the system is working for him. And so he doesn't need this symbol of weakness. Because his life isn't about weakness. It's about winning. It's about getting. And he's, and he's, he's, he's made it work. So when Jesus came, who did Jesus end up going to? Who, who responded to Jesus? The people who the system didn't work for. The people who couldn't make it work. The people who had made dumb choices and bad choices and who had been chewed up and spit out. 
prostitutes and demon-possessed people and people whose lives were a wreck because they knew that they, hadn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't win. Maybe they couldn't win because they weren't smart enough or they hadn't been self-disciplined enough or whatever. They, hadn't, they couldn't they'd make work. They were broken. And so Jesus was very attractive to them. But then when the rich guy shows up, Jesus says, oh, it's hard for these guys. He goes, you'd be better off trying to get a camel through an eye of a needle than a rich guy. Why? Because they don't need it. Because they're already winning. So they're not attracted. Because they, don't, they think they can make the system work for them. And so throughout human history, the people who have come to Christ have not been the winners. It's not been the successful. And he says this here, verse 26, and it was the same in Corinth. Because the rich and powerful were not attracted to a religion based around a dead Messiah. So he says, verse 26, consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. He goes, you didn't come from that. You guys didn't come from the bold and the beautiful. But see what has happened. They got into the church and they never won. They weren't the people who won. They weren't the people who were accepted. And they got into the church and it was a new community. And suddenly they could be. And what's the natural tendency? Suddenly, oh, well now I'm, I'm good. And pretty soon they're like, you know what? I think I'm a little better than you. And they were doing the same thing everybody else does, which is, I think I'm actually a little better Christian than you are. I think I'm a little more spiritual. After all, I got saved under Paul. And he baptized me. And suddenly I've never won in my life, but now I'm one of the winners. I've got power now. I've got prestige because I'm one of the winners. Well, actually, Paul, he's old news. Remember when Apollos came? Oh, man, I've been studying his stuff, and Apollos is good. So, I mean, I appreciate you loving Paul, but I'm Apollos. Well, you know, guys, you're all big in those guys, but I'm into Jesus. And it was all about them again. And he goes, guys, don't you remember? You weren't like that. You were not the best and the brightest. You were the frail and the foolish. And that's what he says in verse 27. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. Quit trying to pretend that you're smart and strong. You're weak and foolish. And again, I tried to alliterate. So not the best and the brightest, but the frail and the foolish. Because that's who, and, and think, go back. If you know your Old Testament history, what is the Old Testament a story of again and again of God choosing the guy that you don't expect him to choose? you got Jacob and Esau, and Esau is a man's man, and he's strong, and he's rugged, and he's hairy, and he's a hunter. And then you've got Jacob, who's a mama's boy. And God chooses Jacob and not Esau. And you have Joseph, the youngest brother, a daddy's boy. And God chooses Joseph. And he says to, when he calls out Israel, he says, you know, you weren't even the best, you were just, you, were, you weren't even a country when I called you out. And then we meet Saul, and Saul is what everybody wants in a king, which is his problem. And so he's a complete and utter failure. And then we go 
pick out his replacement. Samuel meets David's big brother and goes, here's the guy. Wow, he's impressive. And God says, no, no, man looks outward. I look on the heart. I want the runt of the litter. The guy who didn't even get invited to the party because he's going to take care of the sheep. That's what we think of David. He's the baby. Go take care of the sheep. You don't need to be here with the grown-ups. Because God again and again says, I am not picking the best and the brightest. This isn't how my kingdom works. God chooses the opposite. Verse 28, the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. So the things that are not, he has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. God is totally different than the world. He chooses opposite. And he says, and so, no one can boast. Well, I am. Well, I'm. Well, you know, I follow the right teachers. I follow the right news channels. I follow the right religion. I follow the right I, I, whatever it is, whatever the area is. I'm a little smarter than everybody else. I'm a little better. I'm a little righter. Because we all like to be right. We all want to be on the winning side. So we say, I am, I am. And he goes, and no one can say that. No one can boast. Verse 31, he answers what's going on in verse 12. Because in verse 12, they're saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Jesus. He says, but no, what you have to say is, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's not embracing the ones who are saying, I am of Jesus. He's saying, you're going to boast in God's work, not who you are. You're going to boast in who God is, not in who you are. You're going to boast in God's work on the cross. And that's foolish. That's foolish. But him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Let's apply this. We like to compete for who's right. We so easily follow the world's way. I mean, that's all you're going to see. I've, I've gotten almost completely off Facebook. You'll see me post stuff, but then I just, I post and run. Because I just got so frustrated. It was so disheartening. And one of the things that would drive me crazy is I'd post something, I'd just say, well, here's something to just challenge thinking. It wasn't even, it was stuff I enjoyed, but it wasn't always even I agreed with, but I wanted to challenge my thinking. And you're, <laughs> no, <laughs> challenge my thinking. I'm right. Why would I need my thinking challenged? And I'd say, well, just read this and think about it. And people would write back and say, I didn't even read the article. Let me tell you how wrong you are. And I'm like, Did, just, just read it. Just think about it. I don't need to think about it. I know. And I was like, well, then why did you comment? Because I had to. I had to comment because people need to hear this. And I'm like, so you're, you just know you're right. You're righter than everyone else, including poor little me. And you have to say something. And I'm like, well, and I got that a lot. I had people say, why would you, why wouldn't I, I, I have to speak up. Because we're right. We're all right. And we still follow that way. We break into factions and groups and we compete for who's the most right. And then, of course, if you're the most right, you should also have the most power, right? We need to dominate others. We need to overcome others. And that's the way the world works. And the cross is stupid and foolish because the cross represents giving up. 
The cross represents being wrong. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. The cross is about being thought of as wrong. And the cross is about embracing weakness and death. And the scripture is clear on this point. Well, that's stupid. Why would you, why would you embrace losing? I mean, that's why the apostles, the, the disciples, when Jesus got arrested and he didn't resist and he didn't fight his way out and he didn't lay waste to the Romans, he just went up there and hung there and died. They were like, well, obviously something has gone wrong. This is no way for a Messiah to act. And so both the Jews and the Greeks rejected Jesus' Messiah because a Messiah would never do this. That's not how the world works. You win, not lose. And yet it says that that's exactly what God did. We want, so the cross represents weakness, losing, and surrender. And that is, that is no way. We want no part of that. We want religion or rationality, not Christ crucified. So sometimes what we do is we take Christianity, I call it churchianity, and we, we reframe it into different versions of what we call, sometimes we call it the prosperity gospel, but it's more than just the extremes of that. God does not want you to suffer if you follow God, he's going to make your life good and wonderful and he's going to make you rich and you should just thrive and you need to live your best life now. Just, you, he should just be pouring out all the goodness on you and following Jesus is a way to just have life be awesome. And if, your life, if you're following Jesus and your life isn't awesome, then apparently you're not doing it well enough. You should try harder. Operators are standing by. Why don't you send in a gift? 1995, operators are standing by and maybe tomorrow you'll be blessed. Well, that works good. Keeps the money flowing. <laughs> but that's not what the Bible says. But it's this idea of you shouldn't suffer. You should succeed. And so we're going we're gonna to just follow God because God is about winning all the time. And so you're never going to have a bad day if you really trust Jesus. It's never going to get rough. And I'm like, did you study his life? And people came, Jesus at first looked attractive. Why? Because A, when he taught, people went, wow, he's really smart. They'd never heard a teacher like him. He was out teaching the guys who taught for a living. And so they'd show up and go, wow, he knows his stuff. And of course, someone who's really smart, that's better. And then he did things that showed power, like feeding a bunch of people with only a little bit of food, or healing people, or bringing people back from the dead. And they went, oh, I want in. And a lot of people came up to Jesus and went, hey, I'm in. And you'll notice what Jesus keeps saying to them. He keeps trying to knock them back out. So the, the really rich guy shows up. And he goes, hey, what do I need to do? What do I need to do for this eternal life? I'm in. Jesus says, give up all your money. The guy's like, I'll get back to you. And he's out. And others came up and they said, Jesus, we will follow you. He says, okay, but just so you know, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but I'm homeless. Do you really want to come? And they're like, oh, well, maybe not. I thought this was all about winning. And his own disciples were like, well, you're not going to lose, are you, Jesus? You can't, don't talk about that losing. We talked about that a few weeks ago when Jesus had to rebuke his disciples 
because they wanted, they were, they were Jews looking for a sign. They were looking for victory. And that's what we're looking for. Or we want the rationalization where, okay, I can think all this through and I can rationalize it. And so we get into apologetics. And I'm not against apologetics. I'm speaking on uh, Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? I think it's Tuesday. I'm going up to uh, UMO to be part of a panel for a crew uh, up there. Sophie Bilodeau used to go here. Um, she's up there active in that ministry, and she asked me to come up and be part of a panel defending the faith. And that's good, but you're never going to rationalize anyone into the kingdom either. And sometimes we think, well, you know, all you have to do is think through this. But this is not a rational choice. This is a dumb choice. Why would you embrace failure and loss? Why would you allow yourself to be thought of as a sinner if you're a saint? And he's God. Why would God ever allow people to think he was a sinner? Well, because he bore our sins. So we don't want Christ crucified. We want victory. We want power. We want winning. Through religion or rationalization. To either think through it. Or to feel a sense of performance and justification for ourselves. So here's the question. What do you proclaim? In how you talk, in how you present and how you live, how do you what do you proclaim? Do you proclaim, whoops, do you proclaim the fail and foolish cross? Do you proclaim the frail and foolish cross that overcame the world? It's a stumbling block for those looking for supremacy, power, dominance, and being more right than others. If you're looking for dominance, the cross doesn't make any sense at all. Think about what Jesus said. Because if you go back and you watch all his teaching, you can't sit there and try to turn Jesus into a moral teacher. You'll, you'll struggle with his teaching even more than you should because you're trying to turn him into rules. You're trying to turn him into rules. But if you look, what did he say? Because he said, you're not going to overpower the world do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is Jesus' definition of good? No one has any greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is the ultimate good right here. That's crazy, right? And so what did Jesus teach? He says, so if somebody hits you on the cheek, you hit him back twice as hard. That'll teach him. No, that's overpowering. But now you've, you're overcome by evil because you took their evil and you did it twice as much. I win. Instead, what did he say? He says, so if someone strikes you on the cheek, you offer him the other. And if someone says, give me your coat, you say, would you like my shirt too? And he says, if they demand you to walk a mile, you say, let me walk an extra one. He says, and in doing this, you will overcome. Why? Because they are trying to take, which is bad. You're trying to give, which is good. And you are giving more. You are overcoming their evil. Because no one can take that which you give. No one can take what has been offered. Jesus said, nobody can take my life. I give it. 
Nobody's taking away from me. I overcome your selfishness, your desire for power, not by overpowering you, but by playing an entirely different game. Your goal is to try to dominate me. You know what I'll do? I'll serve you. That'll teach you. Because Jesus didn't play a, I will dominate harder than you will. He said, I don't need to do that. I've got the power. I'm not playing power. I'm here to serve you and to redeem you. I'm going to overcome your evil with a greater good. But we're, we don't want that. Turn the other cheek. My word, give me a bat. I'll teach you to hit me. You need to respect me. Jesus says, don't be overcome with their model. Don't be overcome with evil. Instead, do more. Nobody can take what you get. There's a great scene <clears throat> in the movie Les Miserables. <clears throat> I think it's Liam Neeson who plays a thief who has stolen the candlesticks from the priest, I think it is. And so he gets caught. So he drags him back. And he's got the candlesticks in the, in the sack. And the police guy, whatever, the law enforcement pulls him out and goes, see, he stole the candlesticks. And the priest looks at the thief and goes, I am so disappointed in you. And the priest hangs out. You can say, I can see where this is going. This guy's in trouble, right? The priest says, I'm so disappointed in you. Why did you only take the candlesticks? You were supposed to take these other things too so that you could sell them and get money for food. And the policeman's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> huh? He says, yeah, why did you only take the candlesticks? You should have taken more which totally disarms and changes the situation. Why? Because what's the priest doing? Now, yeah, he stole them. <laughs> he was wrong, but the priest is like, but I'm going to outgive you. I'm going to defeat evil by grace, not by power. And that is a fundamental difference in how God's kingdom works. And so often we are still embracing man's way of doing things. Why? Because the cross is stupid. Why would you embrace weakness? Why would you let people think you're weak? I got a fantastic letter this week from someone who was so sure that they were right that they didn't sign their name. <laughs> Love those. And I'm not going to go through the whole letter because it was based in uh, misunderstanding and inaccuracy. <laughs> Thing. I hear you're going to do something that we're not planning to do and have never planned to do and I don't want to do, but that was interesting. But the basic idea was that, but you really messed up because you went and you didn't fight. And when this whole thing started, you should have gone to war. And you didn't. And you've missed your chance to show the world who's boss. But you, you missed it. Because, you know, that's the, that's, the, that's the Jesus way. Guns blazing. Let's beat them. Because those unsaved people don't understand us, so we've got to make them. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. If you ignore the cross. The cross is about loss. And he says, and God has chosen this foolish thing to shame the wise. 
And he has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So what are you proclaiming? The only thing I can boast of. I cannot walk out in the world and say, you know what, I'm a better person than you because I know the truth. I'm a stronger person than you because I'm not afraid of nothing. I can't say those things. You know what the only thing I can say is? Jesus died for me, a sinner. If I'm going to boast, it's all I can boast about. I was died for by Jesus. Not because I was better. Not because I was smarter. I am a sinner. Saved by grace. That's all I got. That's all any of us have. And in a world that is busy trying to beat each other's heads in with who's right, we need to say, oh, I'm not right. But Jesus was. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we who were wrong could be called righteous. Let me tell you about Jesus. He loves you. And he died for you. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is by the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul boasted about. At camp every year, when we do campfire, the end of campfire, I always ask the kids to sing the same song. Jesus loves me. It's a children's song. But it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are allergic to this. We hate our humanness. We hate losing. We hate being weak. We hate to be thought of as wrong. We hate to feel that we're losing stuff. And, and it, it, it's just an instinctive reaction against it. We want to win. I hate being wrong. And I hate being accused of being wrong. I especially hate being wrong when I think I'm right, which is easy for me to do. And Lord, we're all like that, and you know that we're all like that. And you who were right, you who've never ever been wrong, came down and were willing to be counted as the worst wrongdoer ever, to die in the most sinful, shameful, terrible way ever, to embrace shame. And you were God. And you displayed such weakness, and you had more power than any of us have ever had and will ever have on our own. And Lord, we now proclaim that it's not that we are mighty or powerful. As your Old Testament says, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. You have chosen the foolish things of this world 
We are weak and foolish. Lord, may that be who we are. May we know who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. You saved us because you loved us. You did the work. It's not that we are good. It's that you are good for us. It's not that we somehow have lived up to some standard of performance in which we have earned your approval, but you have given us your approval based on your work, not on ours. And Lord, the only thing we can stand on now is that we have been saved. We have been forgiven by your blood, by your death, by your work, by your sanctification. That everything we have is not because of who we are, but because of who you were and who you are and what you did and what you now do in our lives. May that give us a profound humility and may we not boast in our rightness, but in your goodness. Lord, in this day and age, the world is looking for winners. And Lord, may we preach Christ crucified foolishness and weakness that has overcome the world. Lord, we do look forward to the day that you restore everything. But Lord, we know that you are holding off that exercise of power because you are not willing that any would perish. And so you are waiting, you are patient. We want you to come in. We're looking still for you to come back and make everything right. And you are holding off because of compassion. So may we be full of compassion and embrace the foolishness of your cross. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.